Welcome to Story Archaeology's Stories in the Landscape Conversations. This time, I once again get to talk with Professor Ralph Kenner, physicist and lithographer. Hello, everybody. Professor Ralph Kenner is an Irish mathematician and theoretical physicist who is head of the Statistical Physics Research Group at Coventry University. He's a specialist in critical phenomena and sociophysics. Now, look, we shared our first conversation back in April this year, and it's still available on the website, of course. But, Ralph, for anyone who missed that conversation, tell us a bit more about yourself. Hi, hi Chris. It's a real pleasure to be here, firstly, let me tell you that, because uh, in, 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 your, in your home and in this beautiful environment, it's absolutely sunny. Anyway, I was born in Athlone, in the centre of Ireland, and uh, had a long itinerary up to um, did a PhD, that was in Austria, actually, then went on to do a postdoc, as we call it, and various other things. And I ended up in Coventry University, um, where I founded, and, and now I'm head of the Statistical Physics Group. Now, Statistical Physics shouldn't sound boring because it's not it's really really exciting in fact it says the most fundamental of everything and it's it's about the large amounts of small things so the physics of large amounts of small things is the way i I describe do you know that when you say the the physics of large amounts of small things i can get that Mm -hmm. it actually kind of makes sense and i know after our first conversation i'm still trying to get my head around the possibilities of how maths meets myths so effectively i mean it's groundbreaking it's uh, very exciting that's that's for sure i mean my background is mathematics but i was always interested in in mythology it it, it gives me uh, an allowance if you like to enter into the area of mythology and meet people such as yourselves who are the real experts in mythology i can just bring in the, the tools that i have from mathematics but my tools our tools are very much zooming out from the whole so if you have a story or a mythology or something, of course, you're interested in the detail of the individual characters and what they're doing. But for us, uh, as mathematicians, we zoom out from the details and we look at collective hundreds of characters interacting with each other. And that's that's our angle on it. So, so we, see, detail, we zoom right out. Your detail, detail becomes data, doesn't it? Yes, we lose detail. We can't really have de- detail. Yeah. It's like um, when uh, Kepler was looking at the, at the stars and the planets, the movements of the planets. He didn't really care if the planets have uh, rivers or if they have um, mountains or anything like that. They were just point particles. And he was able to track the movements of these point particles mathematically and so on. We do something similar. So that so. when you zoom back in again, or out again, whichever I got it right. Is mm. it out or in? Out, out, oh, out, right. zoom out, you come to me, zoom in, you go to you. So, <laughs> so when you zoom out again, you've suddenly got all this data and you've got a much bigger picture that you couldn't have got any other way. Am I kind um, of getting that p- right? Perhaps we miss detail to some extent. We, we see maybe in some way the bigger picture. Uh, we can g- gather the, we gather the data on one narrative or one mythology or one story, let's say, and another one, say, from different countries or different times or different cultures, and we can compare them to each other. You get a new view that you wouldn't get by any amount of detailed study of an individual story. We get the bird's eye view, so to speak. But look, we'll get back to that in a minute, but there is something I did want to say. Today is an extra special conversation because Ralph is here in Leitrim, as you just mentioned. Yes. And we are recording in the same room. We've talked so much over email and Zoom, but I finally got to meet you in person and it's... That's, it's really good. It is really exciting for me, and it's certainly very, very exciting. I'm delighted. Thanks for the invitation, Chris. 
And another reason I'm pleased is, of course, that for reasons beyond everybody's control, the quality of the recording in April was a bit disappointing. Mm. I know it was, and I felt really bad about it. I just couldn't process it and make it better. It wouldn't work. And it's odd, really, because I've undertaken conversations with people in America, Australia, which are separated yes. by the Irish Sea. But so it goes. So today we can do better. Excellent. Let's do it. We've got a lot to talk about, but let's get started with an update on the current and ongoing project. Yes, the project is called Irie, which is a well. It's we use it's E I R I, meaning evoking Ireland's resilient female icons. But it also alludes to the word Irie in Irish, which is uh, to rise to soar. Because the objective is to raise awareness of women in Irish mythology. Where well, we're celebrating women in Irish mythology. That is exactly the. Problem. But before we talk about how it's going, could you just tell us a little more how, how you came to set it up and a bit more information about it? University, the University of Coventry University is keen to get people involved in research. So our research is, in a sense, accessible to people. So we, we're, we're calling on people to give us their views of women in Irish pathology and to, to explain to us how these women inspire them or could inspire them or could inspire other people in the future. So we know that women in Irish, well, women generally are haven't um, been pro- properly represented. Actually, women in Irish mythology are better represented than in many other That's mythologies. That's true. That is true. And, uh, and this is one of the outcomes of our research in this uh, statistical physics way of doing things. Uh, so, so having found that, we're keen to to bring this to the fore, if you like, and to evoke people's affection or people's understanding or people's connection with women in Irish mythology and get it get these Irish female icons out there all these strong women in these stories yes. I think they've been quietly influenced in the way we think yes yes <laughs> there's a there's a lot of good stories there but there's a competition as well isn't there yes I, I I'm kind of hesitant to use the word competition because everybody wins in some way but yet we have to inspire some interest in it. And uh, so we have 10,000 euros up for grabs on this one. That's quite a competition. It's not too bad, yes. <laughs> so, and, and we've partitioned it in the following way. So we've got seven prizes of 1,000 euros each um, for individual for any submissions, for any individual pieces of art. And we've got 3,000 euros for children. Now, we wouldn't give 3,000 or 1,000 euros to any individual child, but instead to their schools. So the idea here is we're trying to get schools to... Um, promote interest in mythology and Irish mythology uh, in those schools and then to maximise the reach that we can get. Here is a project for primary schools or, or secondary schools. It's about time that we started a project that's based on girls rather mm. than including girls. Yes. It's not all about Cú Cullen. It's a... <laughs> it's a... <laughs> no, there's, there's a lot... We could, we could centre on Ema rather for than... Example, yes, Cú Cullen yes, for example, yes. Cú Cullen for us change, exactly, yeah. Yes, yes. Now, the Irish Post has been very much part of the promotion process, hasn't it? Yes, they've been very good to us, actually, the Irish Post, and uh, they've, they're hosting the competition, and they're, they're an excellent partner to work with. They've published regular short articles from a number of contributors. Yes. Could you tell us more about them? Well, the idea is that we, we try to bring in people from different disciplines or with different viewpoints to get different people's perspectives on women in Irish mythology. And we started, well, the first article I wrote something um, to kick off the project. I think the second article we had around in June time was yourself. It was. And I was just suggesting various female characters who might be an inspiring starting point. So if you did miss the Irish Post, 
then um, you could just go to the Story Archaeology website. Our, our next item in the Irish Post was in July. That was uh, by my, uh, Mike McCarthy and Daniel Curley. From the Rathcrohan Interpretive Centre. Yes. I, um, uh, we, I, I had a conversation with Daniel yes. earlier this year yes. on the archaeology and the background of Rathcrohan. Yes, and that's um, connected to uh, the item that Daniel had, uh, Daniel and Mike had in the Irish Post, where they also talk a bit about Rathcrohan and about, um, again, women in Irish mythology. Of course, Rathcrohan, as you know, uh, as everybody knows, is, is deeply connected with Irish mythology. Oh, and, that's Mother's <laughs> headquarters. That's a yes. So we all uh, know that and admire Rathcrohan and what those guys are doing there is really fantastic. Oh, it's a very important place. It is a very important place, yes. Now, the, place. the next one was interesting. All about Sheila and the Giggs. Sheila and the Giggs, yes. I've had a long term, long, long time interest in Sheila and the Giggs and I was really thrilled, delighted when just relatively recently to discover um, a professor of musicology, actually, from Middlesex University, Benjamin Dwyer is his name, and he has done extensive research into uh, Sheila Giggs. And he's done this fantastic work of, in a sense, he interprets Sheila Giggs in musical form. Now that's interesting. That is really interesting. And I think he's actually got a concert coming up in London in this September. Um, but that's, it, it, he's, got, he, he's, he's also written quite a lot. Um, he's, he's written a, a short booklet on Sheila Giggs. So he really knows his stuff here. And he wrote something about Sheila Giggs also for the Irish Post. They are fascinating. They may not be ancient in terms of the heroic story cycles, but they're 100% Irish and very mysterious. I, I like them very much also because so little is known about them. So in a sense, you can map whatever, thing, whatever you want. You can, you can use them to inspire you in any way you like. Oh, yeah, and, they're uh, certainly mysterious. <laughs> they're mysterious and they're defiant. This is the word, actually, that, uh, yeah, I like ben, that. ben used uh, in his description of Sheila and the Giggs, defiance. You have another article most recently that, that's been added to the Irish Post. Yes, I traced back, well, not, not for a, a friend of mine, an Austrian physicist, pointed out an Irish physicist from about 250 years ago. His name is uh, Richard Carwin. He comes from Connacht, Galangalbe. And uh, he's kind of pretty much forgotten nowadays, but uh, he did physics. And then eventually, later in life, he went into a little bit of mythology. I like that very much because that's the itinerary that I am on myself. I was going to say, he's <laughs> yes. like your predecessor. He is, yes. I thought I was the first Physi crazy person. Physicists <laughs> and mythology, it's not the most common connection, although no. I think it's a really good one. So you found somebody else who did the same, who yes. did something similar. So I, I, I like this guy very much. Um, and um, he's, so we're another mission we have, but this is a different thing, is about to promote awareness of him in physics, in the physics world, because he was really one of the first statistical physicists. And he's essentially forgotten nowadays. So yes, I wrote an article about him and about his swashbuckling uh, uncle back in the, about 250 years ago, as I say. That was, again, just explaining that this project starts, it, it, it's all about pathology, but uh, the, let's say the seed was a mathematical investigations into pathology. I think that's brilliant. And, and mm. of course, all those interviews from the Irish Post can be found on this. There's a special story archaeology page dedicated to all of them. Very good. You've also given an interview on Roscommon Radio as well, haven't you? Tell us about that. Well, this is, uh, I must thank Ursula Ledwith for, for this. She's a really an amazing woman who has the, a bit like yourself, she has this incredible ability to link things together and link people together. And um, so she linked me with uh, lots of artists in that region around um, Roscommon and beyond. So we had a good discussion. I think there was a, there was a, that was about, this was in August, so this, this month. A podcast of that interview is 
is will be always on the Ross FM website. Ursula also introduced me to a number of artists in those common area. Nicola Bowes is one of them, poets and artists, and mm. they have amazing activities. These guys, actually, Nicola and her friends, they were already doing artwork on uh, women in Irish mythology before we even we met. But, uh, but, but, but now we've got this, we funnel the whole lot together and we all come together for the same purpose. And thanks <laughs> to you, I think I may well have a, a conversation with Nicola in the not-too-distant future. I look forward to that. So do I. very, very interesting So one. do I. Now, one thing, when you introduced your interview, which is on which is on Facebook, and I, I've also added it to the Story Archaeology website, you mentioned, don't be intimidated if you feel you don't know enough about Irish mythology. It's not your fault. It's been suppressed since centuries. This is a participatory research project where we all learn together, and you can be involved in whatever way suits you. Now, I think that was a brilliant way of describing it, and what you say is very important. Well, I think this is this is very true. I mean, I myself was a bit scared to enter into the area of mythology because I thought I'm not qualified in mythology. I'm qualified in mathematics. So I had to dabble a little bit, and uh, but I'm still very fascinated by, with Irish mythology. And many people are, and many people associate, identify themselves with it because it, it really, there's, there's some gems in Irish mythology. But there's so, far more than people realise. This is it. It's so vast. It can be daunting. And you can get, you can be a little bit scared because you want to know everything before you feel qualified to talk about anything. And this is not the case in 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 our case. You don't have to know everything. No, you, don't you don't even have to know much at all. You've you've just got to just. Um, we ask people, please, for example, go to the Story Archaeology website, and there are loads of resources. You don't have to read everything, but re but whatever inspires you. There are lots of books as well. And there are plenty of other centres around, like the Creative Ardar in Longford, and also Corlee in Longford, and of course Rothcrohan in uh, Roscommon, or Nabham Fort. There are so many different centres where a lot of people are working to try and make these stories yes. really accessible. Because I do agree with you, some of the texts which were translated at the beginning of the 20th century, to be honest, they are a bit dense. Yeah, it can be very tough to read, you're right. But so the purpose, so the, the point is, do not be um, intimidated. And we welcome your views. On your, you, you, you are the person who knows yourself most, obviously. You're the expert in who you are. And if you can use this to tell us how female figures in Irish mythology inspire or have inspired you personally or could inspire people. And that that's why I think my one of my favourite of all those articles in the Irish Post was the one that uh, Joe Horgan wrote. It was brilliant because he was writing about the strong women of Irish mythology and yet the one that who had really inspired him was his grandmother who was one of those strong Irish women. That's it was funny. a great article and I know that's exactly the sort of inspiration that... Uh, is behind this competition. Yes, Joe is an he's a columnist for the Irish Post. He writes every week in the Irish Post, and he's he writes a lot about issues around identity and um, and, and and also diaspora because the Irish Post is primarily uh, read by diaspora. There's a, a huge online presence, and it's available around mostly well the, in certain parts of Ireland, but uh, all around um, Britain. So Joe wrote a fantastic piece about uh, yes, as you say, it was actually. Uh, the Banshee, mm -hmm. and the idea, the, 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 his people emigrated to Birmingham, I think it was. He's eventually come back, now he's back in Ireland. But but the Banshee came with them. And so the Banshee, <laughs> <laughs> the Banshee has accompanied all of us, uh, people to America and people to England and, 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 and so on. She is omnipresent. <laughs> 
But I, I don't think he was calling his grandmother a banshee. No, gosh, no, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> but I know what you mean. It yes. just sounded... I mean, no, it the, was this, this, this what you carry with you. Yes, the culture with the... Yes. And particularly the way that his grandmother lived and the presence she had stays yes. with him. Yes. But we know we're not calling anyone's grandmother a banshee. No, 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 no. But we're saying that the, the banshee unites us. All Us Irish people all across the world are united by the banshee. That's right. The cry <laughs> that wherever you go is going to get you. <laughs> yes. So, in anyway, fact, I wasn't even born in Ireland and it got me. It got you. Yes, it's very, it is inspirational. But the, the, that uh, Joe's item in the Irish Post... I think it could be online in the Irish Post, but it should. It's certainly in the uh, on your website as well. I'm sorry, That's right. I just yes. uh, I, I left it to last because I think it was one of my favourites. And it's very much a personal story, mm. and uh, that is exactly the type of thing that we would like to hear from mm. other people as well. Other people have the stories. In our previous conversation, we discussed some of the surprisingly strong roles that women held in early medieval society. They were a lot better off than some other societies. Indeed, there was a lot of uh, wisdom back in in the olden days, and the Brehan laws uh, were 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 pretty good. This was, a, as as many of you will know, was based on a complex system of fines. It covered everything from matters of commerce to crime, healthcare, the ownership of property to marital law, family law, this type of thing. Women seem to have been largely entitled to enter all of the same professions as men. Uh, they could be poets, physicians, lawgivers, teachers, warriors, leaders, queens. The the mythological stories are littered with such references to these women of power. And that's, so there are, there are lots of, there's lots to take from the Brehan laws. I'm not saying we should bring them back, although oh, it's no, too bad. No. <laughs> but, but let's take a little few things from, at no, least I, inspiration that we had the Brehan laws. I, although I think, yeah, you have to accept that we would have found the societal status restrictions extremely troublesome. Yeah, your status could definitely be changed but it might take three generations and it was a bit rigid and that goes mm. whether you were male or female so i think we'd find that one tough mm. but yeah women could there are plenty of women warriors look at the battle of moitura they're all over the place mm-hmm. but we've had we've I, I think to some extent this comes down to our culture and um, we we all I mean we have very strong women in, in ireland and i mean we've we've got a very uh no reverence for, for our mothers, no, let's no say. Ireland, and yes, but we, we are known for we've got pretty um, feisty women. <laughs> so heading back to the competition, there mm. are plenty of role models to choose from. I think the most difficult bit is that we're spoilt for choice in coming up with starting character inspira- inspirations. Now we discussed a few possible starting points in our last conversation. So yes, we meant we we did discuss Shannon, and and um, I think uh, you're you you've a long term interest in in Shannon, and uh, I I have as well since re- more recent times, and Medev, as you say, yeah, well, Medev not exactly a role model well, at okay, times, in some ways. but she was a strong leader, not one to be ignored. Mm. Oh, and no spring chicken either. I believe she was supposed to have had 19 sons, <laughs> so she's not a young and um, lithe. Teenager. Mm. She's definitely an older woman. So, and then there's Macha when Nuda led the tour of the Danon at the Second Battle of Moitura. His wife Macha fought fiercely at his side. In fact, in the Second Battle, where Nuda fell under, 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 under a Fomorian sword, she stood over his body and protected him before he was he was also struck down. Yeah. So we've, 
So, but this again, this is a, just an example of inspiration that, that we can... Yeah, and Macha is a really, really important character. Now, she appears in different forms. In, in the Torn, she's the one who's forced to race the king's horses, and she wins. She wins, yes. But they're such complex and multi-layered women. I shared the July stories in the landscape with Anne Geraghty-Smith, who co-manages the Ardar Creative Heritage Centre in Ardar County, Longford. Now, their centre is at the foot of Brile. The, their special landscape is where so much of the uh, the wooing of Edina is set. So, yes. For, so, for example, I'd, I'd like to know more about uh, Brile, Brile and um, strong female characters in the story. Brile, of course, is the hill where Mither, it, it was where his Trigger Palace was. But the hill seems to have no archaeology on it at all. And that kind of fits Mither's tree hill. And of course, Mither um, fell in love with this young girl, Aideen, and took her home to his new wife, Fumnon, mm. who decided that since she was a poet, she could make magic with her words. And so when the girl went and sat in the middle of the house, which was her place, mm-hmm. She then uh, turned her into a pool of water, and then when the water dried up, the girl became a beautiful purple fly. But when the fly hung around too long, smelling beautiful, and Mither seemed to become intoxicated with the fly, she'd had just about enough, so she called up a wind and blew her away, and the story goes on a thousand years later. It's a brilliant story. It's a and wonderful most, story. But the trouble is, why I suppose I like it, is because most people see Fumnok as the evil, mm. like the evil stepmother, although she's the evil wife here. And that really isn't the way the story's told. And later on, even important people like the Dagda and uh, Oingus, they can't go against what Fulmnok says. They have to work round her. Mm. So she is important. They don't always have to be the goodies. Yes. I think this is partly, we don't just want Disney princesses. No, no, please. <laughs> but Aideen, Aideen is a problem in some ways because she seems so passive. Anne and I were talking about Aideen, mm-hmm. who everything seems to happen to her. She doesn't seem to take the proactive position. And we were wondering how we felt about presenting her to a modern or young audience, especially girls, because I think this is one of the things that this project is focusing on and it's led storytellers like me and Anne to say, how do you present these people without doing an injustice to the stories? Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about strong female characters with recognisable kind of modern strengths. But Aideen's different. As a human character, she comes across as really passive. Mm. Most beautiful girl, desperately sought after by the other world judge Mither and the human king. But she's the prize, worth awaiting gold. In fact, her mortal husband loses her permanently when he seeks to destroy the she. In that sense... She's symbolic. Mm, yes, symbolic, exactly, as you say, yes. And I, I think this, the, the story you've, you've just told there is so delightful and so subtle. Certainly, I mean, that this, this is exactly the sort of thing yeah. that we need people to... People can take inspiration from. Yeah, that just and, because you find a passive character doesn't mean that, oh, that's a bad character or mm. that's old-fashioned. You've got to look at the whole story and suddenly you realise something else is going on. That's why I've taken a bit of time over this one. Isolde would explain that the source meaning of all those Aideen, Ethlu, Ethna names, they actually the name means seed or kernel. So she is the balance and the prosperity of the land mm. and she's so desirable and worth struggling for as without the prosperity, the seed or kernel, the land becomes a wasteland. Mm, mm. So I think she's a very relevant 
character for our time. Absolutely. And, and that connects very, very nicely back into the work that Nicola and her colleagues are doing in Roscommon with biodiversity, which is very much in line with what you're saying there. So many of the old Irish stories are about biodiversity. They're, they're told as story characters, but it's all about if you get this wrong, if you Yes. disobey these customs if you don't take care of the land if you just go hunting for what makes you rich the land will become a wasteland and we have not heeded those people those stories back in the day. look where we are now yeah. in, in fact in, in that the world. story later on becomes the arthurian wasteland it's right. like the first version of it right. oh come to think of it what's even better is she's kind of got the same role as the glasgowan but that doesn't mean we have to call lady in a cow <laughs> <laughs> So if you're, for example, interested in biodiversity and if you're interested in, you can choose a character from Irish mythology, a, a female character from Irish mythology or a story that you, that you like best and try to connect them if you can. Or if it's not biodiversity, something else along these along There's a lot of ecological messages in there the is. Irish stories. It, it, yes, it was a very agrarian society, is that the word? It still is. Uh, it still <laughs> is, yes. So and we still have the same land out there. So let's... Um, it still needs looking after yes, in the same way. Yes, it still needs nurturing, yes. It's not all about chemicals and profit. Now, we've shared ideas about submissions for the IRE competition, but of course there is a second strand to this project. This is open and participatory research. So how do you see this going? I think it's really exciting, but can you explain a bit more about just how this research will be so useful? Well, this is we, so often we do not know how it will be useful when we're doing research. We often don't even know what questions we're asking when we're doing research. We just do the research as best we can. In our case, in my case, we gather the data and look for patterns in the data. Now you've got to, people will have different ways of doing things, not to do with data, but with art, for example, or poetry, so, or, or anything. But we, so we, what we would like, alongside the artistic competition, we also would like people to tell us what, what these, um, what Irish mythology means to them, especially female figures. That could be a very, very short few words, or you could write a long essay or anything you want. We don't know where, what we're going to do with this. We will, we will, again, gather people's opinions. This will be data coming in in some way. If people agree, we can publish some of it. And, um, and if you want your thoughts fed into this project, we don't know where those thoughts will go, but that's the nature of research. It is, we're entering into the unknown and we're entering there together. And you're following the data. You know, yes, it, yes. you go where the data takes you, just like Shillings River. Yes, we have no particular, usually, usually they talk about a research question. We don't really have a question here. And we, 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 we often ask the question after we get the answer. So it could be something like Joe Horgan's grandmother and the cry of the banshee from far away and uh, the thing that calls you back to Ireland. That's For example, really, yes, really yes. Good, good idea. Or it could be just um, an image of a river or a tree or anything that reminds you of Ireland and its mythology. Yes. It, it, it really, both the competition and the research project are so open totally open it's connected to the individual as i say you know what it means to you most i don't know what it means to you and uh, the world doesn't know but give us tell us what it means to you and we'll see where that brings us and i remember when i started with shannon you start with that little well that little wellspring that comes up from the ground and gradually as it meanders and grows until it is a river that leads to the sea so if you like we're all little sparks little data points Hmm. that add up all together to yes. the great telling of Irish story yes. and the land of Ireland itself and how we all respond to it 
how we all create it as we, as we go. And this brings us back to the changes. original. Absolutely. And this brings us back to the original about how the, the individual characters in the story are all connected. And that brings us to the to the story. So it's, mm. it's what we call in, in complexity science an emergent phenomenon. And with this project, you, your thoughts are the individual items which we bring together. There will be an emerge, something will emerge from this. Oh, come so on. An emergent phenomenon. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so come on, everybody. What we all need to do is become an emergent phenomenon. Yes. I like that. <laughs> yes, I want to be an emergent <laughs> phenomenon. Yes, because we're all phenomenal in our own way. So, so yes. And <laughs> Ireland can be quite phenomenal. Quite phenomenal, yes. And we are we are linked through, I mean, the uh, the Banshee and the Sheelan and Gig to some extent. Um, Sheelan and Aideen and Fulmnock they, and uh, they bring us all together. Ema the Eloquent and Aravid the Healer. All these characters, they're all there. They're all there and they all make us what we are. I hope everybody is now as enthused about the research project and the competition. You know, there are good prizes out there to be had as well. But just before we finish, I hope we're going to talk again soon. But are there any other projects that you're now preparing that you'd like to talk about? So give us a, just a taste of what you're planning to do next. Well, there are two I'd like to mention, oh, if, I, if I may. One is uh, Tombo Freak. Freak is a character who has his own story. Also enters in Tombo Kulnia, but... Uh, his, oh, it's a great story. Short, yes. And um, we have a paper with Daniel and Mike from Ruth Crohan. This paper has just actually been... It's been... Um, it's, we're very, it should be published in the next few weeks. In that paper, we've got a little small competition. Unrelated to this one, but, but it's... Uh, you might remember the famous drawing, the brush drawings, as they're called, by Louis Le Broquet of uh, the Thornbull Cunha. These are, these are, it's Kinsler. called, uh, yes, for the Kinsler book, mm -hmm. the army massing. Oh, they're wonderful pictures. Wonderful, fantastic pictures. And um, uh, Louis Le Broquet's son, Pierre, allowed us to use that image in the paper that's coming out soon. And we will ask in that paper um, if you can estimate how many characters are actually in that <laughs> brush drawing. <laughs> Tell us how many characters there are and... Uh, when the, when the paper is published, if you, if you tell us the number of characters within a year and a day, the first seven entry, or the, or, or the first seven, I think it is, these will win a prize, which will be the book. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so and if you can't wait is, to read to... Um, now, when I say, I'm not necessarily saying that it's the first seven, actually. It might be, if, I think we'd probably draw a lot, draw a lottery or something like that from seven, because we have a year and a day. We'd like to keep this, this project I up like for that. a year and a day. That's one that's coming up. That's the Tombow uh, Freak project. We've got another paper which will be coming out. It's been accepted. Uh, it's been past peer review now. So it will be published, but it'll probably in a month or so. And this is actually about the Ukraine, the Kiev cycle, the, the Ukrainian mythology. Yes, this, we started we were this, talking a bit about that. It was ongoing last time it I was, spoke to you. Right. Well, now it's been accepted um, in, in the journal. And uh, I think so. So we're very ple pleased with this paper. And it's actually, well, it's obviously very relevant to what's happening now, especially uh, as we also directly refer to a famous essay written by Putin. Um, it was over a year ago. Uh, and we address that where he has the wrong version of history mm. and mythology, let's say. He certainly does. Yes. The, well, the wrong way round. <laughs> um, Completely but, the yes, wrong way round. Uh, we, we, we discussed that uh, in the paper as well, which, as I say, a couple of months' time. You, you'll let us have details of this paper when it is finally published. Yes, we'll, we'll put it on, if that's okay with you, you can have it, we'll put it on the website or something. I as would well. love to. That'd be great, yes. 
So it's been an absolute pleasure talking here today. And as I've told everybody, I've actually, we've got to meet in person for the first time. So thank you so much for going out of your way and making it all the way up through my back roads up the hills. It's very romantic. It's, uh, yeah, I do live a bit off the beaten track. So thank you very, very much. Thank you, Chris. It's definitely, I would thank you because it's been a real honour too. And I hope it won't be the last time that we meet here. Thank you for listening to this Stories in the Landscape conversation. Remember, on www.storyarchaeology.com, you will be able to access the whole archive of Story Archaeology podcasts. You can also explore a wide selection of my audio and video stories for children, as well as a range of project and support materials for schools. Also, discover information on a number of international arts events and competitions with which Story Archaeology is closely linked. There will be another Stories in the Landscape conversation along soon.